everybody. Before we dig into today's podcast, I hope everyone is doing well. Artists, photographers, neon makers, vendors, shop owners. If you just love neon and if one day you hope to own your own sign, whoever you are, I hope you're all okay during these trying times. Number two is our merch. If you ever wanted to wear something with the intent to feature neon front and center, it's online. Hit merch on the main nav on the site and so on. And last, text us, 917-565-9616. Love to hear from the community, general thoughts, musings, and or whoever we should have on the show. Whatever it is, hit us up, and here is your podcast. Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, neon, helium, xenon, krypton. Transform and roll out. Max Abmondo Neon. I'm with Cardin Chan from Tetra Neon Exchange. Thanks for coming on the show, Cardin. Hi, morning, everyone. Well, morning from Hong Kong. I'm Cardin, and thank you for having me, Max. Yes, and Cardin and everyone that's speaking, like thinking about what time frame it is. What's really cool about these podcasts is I get the chance to talk to some really amazing people from many different places within the world. And what our focus is on today is really Hong Kong, but for the most part, really digging into preservation, what you know, for all the people that are listening who really have no clue of what Tetra is, kind of take us back. Like, what's the unraveling history of Neon for you? And particularly with people that are trying to save signs, clearly we understand there are important things to go after. But what's the motivation? Like, what was the spark that kind of, you know, lit, you know, lit the fire uh, and kind of got you in that kind of that mode of like, okay, I'm going to go out there and get, you know, get some, get some things done with these signs. Um, then probably I would have to start with my own story before I actually like go into the Tetronion exchange background, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually, I, I left Hong Kong uh, for several years um, between 2000, uh, 2010 and then I came back here um, like 2017. And then uh, before I was in media or like marketing industry, and then I was always busy. I didn't really have a life. I thought like I actually knew <laughs> Hong Kong, you know, like the culture and stuff. Um, but then I never actually had time to actually look into like details and stuff. Um, I think that's just the story of like most of the Hong Kong people. Uh, and then when I was away, like overseas, like I love traveling. Um, and then I actually, I was lucky enough to meet a lot of people. Like when I traveled, um, like I always wanted to like find out like what locals would like to do and where actually locals would go um, on top of like touristy places. And then I managed to actually meet a bunch of people that cared so much about the culture, the land, the history, and then just I actually like spark some questions, made me reflect on myself. Like when, like, do I actually share the same kind of passion for my city, you know? And for was the home? history, you know, China has a deep history. Was it something that like, you know, you kind of just were thinking about like, well, what is it, you know, how do I relate to all of these kind of evidence-based decades where, you know, clearly you, know, you relate to the history that you've been most exposed to, but there's so much going on in, you know, even in the fabric of, of China, like how, how did you, was there something they gravitated towards most or did you just kind of all reflect on at one time? Uh, I think like, it's a very, this is a very complicated question. Um, I, like I have always been like interested in traditional Chinese culture. I actually studied like Chinese literature for my A-levels, like a, a very important exam before like 
whether you would get admitted to uni or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really love like that part in me, but at the same time, because I was born and grew up in Hong Kong, born and bred in Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong was like, if you know the history, like we, we're basically the, the, the place where it's like East meets West and then the old meets like new, right? So um, I think it's, it's a bit different from like the traditional culture because like we embrace like, Hong, uh, we embrace like foreign cultures or whatever that is trendy, like outside Hong Kong, we embrace them very well. And then we would actually like, we would actually like turn it to something that is uniquely Hong Kong, if you see what I mean. I think neon actually is one of the epitome of like, like the re- reflection of that. Um, and then when during like my encounters with these like people that cared so much about their culture and then that was like how I started like thinking maybe it's time for me to actually like, um, look within like in Hong Kong, you know, instead of like Mm -hmm. always try to like, oh, the moon is always like, I don't know, the grass is always greener, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, We always have this thing like the moon is always rounder. (laughs) In other countries, we have this saying, you know. Really a great place because I think um, it really is a business powerhouse, eh? I think also it's a major major tourist hub of some of the greatest cities that inspired, I think, new ideas really have these kind of cross-continental pathways you know especially like you know a lot of unique um kind of world-class things happen in areas where you have these densely populated zones and you have interesting neighbors right like all across you have visitors that are bringing ideas and and business uh concepts and and, you know not only overlooking the spectacular views because i think people that can think of that first but it's also kind of a world trade hub you know they have a lot of um, you know, exhibitions and, and kind of redefining the city's aspirations, I think now, especially since it is a cultural hub, I think there's a lot of moving forward, but also even in New York, I think that's what I can relate to since being there for a while. There's a lot of kind of, how do you move forward with all of that? How do you bring that forward? And then what do you take right. with you? Because ultimately things will change. They are going to, even within those older structures or the older institutions or the older buildings that, you know, need to be refined or sometimes completely, you know, taken away for better, for worse. Right. And how do they grapple with that identity, right. As kind of, you know, the China Chinese government took over, right. And, 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 you know, kind of absorbed a lot of that information, you know, what are they doing to, to, to kind of devote itself to, to keeping Hong Kong, you know, I guess, you know, keeping what's old and I guess I don't explain that. How do you relate? No, to that? no, I, no. I think like you actually explain it rather well. I mean, I think like you actually know Hong Kong probably more than like a lot other a lot of other people. Um, but but like it is so interesting because you consider Hong Kong as a cultural hub. But at the same time, I think like we have been somehow like since we were I was a kid. Like we 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 grew up in we grew up with like a concept of like Hong Kong is actually like a cultural desert. Like even, mm. even like within Hong Kong, like we, we, we have always been told Hong Kong is like a cultural desert, but so I, I thought like, meaning there's nothing uh, for available or it's, it's um, flat. I don't know. 
Like what exactly? I, I, I guess this is the striking I, idea I have between the desert is that there's there's not a not a lot out there, which to me is I guess it's a it's affordable way of saying that you know thing is everything is kind of the same. I don't know if that's understandable or not, but I mean there's a for me it's sort of the unparalleled ability to create mood. I mean there's nothing like it from the second right. you see what it looks like. There's no other place, and I feel like normal living instances you can travel between certain cities and say yeah that was kind of completely the the same between where we were just where were or where i've been before right but whenever right. you pack something so densely into areas of either water or or just some i feel like the the residents themselves i think things don't move as slowly as they do in some instances so you go back and you kind of wonder okay we're what was this generation like or, or how are people like in this way and I think neon not to get ahead of ourselves but you can look back at different generational abilities for neon to kind of hold that moment and uh, there's a lot of kind of I, I guess you'd say cancel culture for better or for worse but when you crush out those older buildings and those other businesses that were there you kind of lose a lot of that narrative and I think that's the kind of justice that I think maybe you're looking for maybe just to at least be able to explain you know these are the things that let us to be here we should aim towards this but at least acknowledge that um you know there's there's a secret ingredient you know it's not always going to be one thing versus the other but culturally you know these are the things that we remember and, and what what do we want to hold on to i guess is is that do you feel like there's something that it, that lacks in that sense like is there you know, maybe there's something in all of that that could stand out you know for you besides just like the desert concept i think <laughs> um i think I'm, I'm just thinking maybe because like we are a city of immigrants as well, like um, looking back at the history, I think um, there were waves of like immigrations coming to Hong Kong. And then I think like different subgroups of like, I don't know, Chinese people actually like, even only Chinese people, like we have got lots of subgroups coming from different like provinces at different time periods. And then I think like, but most of us actually um, felt Hong Kong was not actually a place for them to stay. It was like a place for them, like for transit. They, they always thought like they would actually go back to where they came from, like, like uh, voluntarily, you know, like they, they actually wanted to go back to, for example, like part of the, the part of China uh, when like maybe wars actually ended, that kind of stuff, you know? So I think, um, we didn't actually have the concept of like what Hong Kong people are until probably in the late seventies or seventies. Uh, we start like gradually um, asking or like being being taught maybe we should actually have like our we, we should actually like give more thoughts to like what Hong Kong is or what Hong Kong people are. Um, that was the moment maybe. Um, we started thinking, oh, maybe Hong Kong is actually is a place to to live and stay, and and of course, like we back in the seventies during the, like the economic economic boom, um, I think like a lot of other cities, um, we actually tore a lot of things down. We just wanted like uh, economy, economy, finance, 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 like development. We didn't actually like think we should actually keep something from the past. Um, because it is, it is very important to us, it's part of our heritage, right? And then until probably in the 90s, uh, I think like 
if if you talk to like a lot of um, other preservationists, they may actually also agree. Maybe um, the seed was officially planted um, when during the removal of our um, uh, star fairy or the queen's peri. Uh, sorry, the queen's pier in central mm-hmm. uh, back in the nineties. I think that was probably the official. That was like a turning point for us to actually wake up. Like. Like what is what does it mean to us? Like um, so we should not maybe people, we should just a lot, a lot of people think of the like reviving nostalgia. There's certain landmarks that we have lost, and I can think of like right. the, let's see uh, again. I hate to bring it up, but it's the thing I can relate to the most is the old Penn Station. Um, it was actually right. you know kind of a last hurrah, kind of before you kind of got these square kind of concrete buildings. You had this sort of uh, lattice metalwork and and look I mean there's there's something unique about that I think we immerse ourselves in the past because we want to experience something that's you know not only just to discover our culture but you know the very presence of some of those things is very tangible we talk about nostalgia on this show right. because I think it affects us differently but also you know what we remember you know decades ago um, it was just a, a different time and like you said if we let that slip by it's kind of like uh, one thing goes then the rest of them go and then it's okay right <laughs> so yeah it's uh, and, and, it and, a and, domino. yeah and invent yeah and eventually we just start thinking like what's left of us what like what we have like to show like others what is our cultural heritage you know mm-hmm. if even though like we 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 became like a free port like I don't know, like um, like 180 years ago, like back in 1842, I think. Um, and to a, to a lot of you guys, probably like we are very new, right? We, we only have like history, like official, how could I actually put this? We, we have a very long history, but then people actually pay attention to us or consider like Hong Kong, oh, Hong Kong is officially Hong Kong, um, during the, 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 the 19th century. Uh, uh, but still we want to pre- preserve like what actually happened and took place, right? I think it shaped us. Without the past, like we would not actually have the, the present or even the future. Uh, so I think it is very important, but I think like, I, for me, uh, from, from my um, experience, I think I try to actually not to just look at preservation from the nostalgic point of view. Um, I think like it's very important to, like, for example, like I think for testimony on exchange or even for whatever cultural preservation work that I have done or have been doing, um, I think education is key because actually like, I, I don't know about you guys, but like Hong Kong people, we are, we are very quick to adapt to what's happening outside Hong Kong. Um, and then if we just follow like nostalgia as a trend, it would not actually stay, right? It would just come and go. Uh, and then when, when the trend like, oh, fades or leaves, and then what, what mean, what, what does it mean to us? Like when, mm-hmm. it, when we talk about so, like cultural preservation, so, so we, we say, always, you know, sorry. When you talk about preservation, you know, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to I guess in what way, you know, when you gravitated towards signs, was it always a, when you were reflecting on a lot of things in the past, you mentioned you kind of went back and you kind of were struck by your kind of marketing days versus this kind of new unique process for you when you go out um, and look for different, you know, culturally what was relevant to you. Did signs kind of attach themselves to you in a way that felt relevant? Like, is that how you got into sort of the conservation efforts in, in Hong Kong? 
Um, I grew up in the eighties in Hong Kong, and then, as you mentioned before, like the eighties or the nineties were like the golden years for Hong Kong for for neon, right? I think worldwide um, and Hong Kong as well. And I remember like walking down the street, um, like the whole streets were filled with neon signs, and then. And then, for some reason, I think because that was also like the heyday of Hong Kong, if I could actually say that, um, I I remember like I, I don't know why, but the images of that streets like filled with neon signs or like radiating neon, unique neon lights, like got stuck in my head. Like I didn't actually think about that like back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember. That was the moment. That was the day when I still remember the. It was close to the completion of the new airport, uh, back in the nineteen ninety six, I think. And I remember going to school, and I was I was watching the news for some reason. Um, and I remember to my I remember like saying to myself, I can't wait to actually like go to, to do something, um, for Hong Kong, <laughs> like I. I can't. I just could not wait. For some reason, like everything was looking up, like like very hopeful. Um, yeah. So whenever now, whenever I think of like neon, um, that actually reminds me of those days, and then that sentiment as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back from like overseas, and I realized like, oh my god, like all the signs or most of the signs were like disappearing or disappeared already. And then I just thought to myself like. If it continued to happen, like what our street would look like, <laughs> you know. And yeah, then and I what, always like. First, was there like a first like what's a funny story that kind of got you going in the first place? Did you immediately say because it's a pretty fairly big effort that you're trying to to pull off here? I mean, obviously the government. We did talk to uh, Street Signs HK, and one of the things they mentioned was sort of you know the the even from removing these landfills then 2011 there's a was a new government regulation which created a lot of outdoor structures like huge mandates where if business owners didn't remove the sign they got fined you know thousands of dollars and if they didn't bring them up to code which was inevitably too much for you know any sort of mom and pop business then they inevitably right. had to get rid of the sign and if the only way to get rid of it was to you know toss it out and so up until that point there really was no alternative for these businesses so what they do is they come in and you know a we'll take the sign from you but we'll also if you want to keep it we'll we'll assist you in having that conversation so we may be able to help you with some local uh, uh sign makers and what they call them in hong kong which is interesting i find too is sign boards right which is kind of a term that's not commonly used in america which i find very interesting it's nothing All right, right or wrong about it so that's kind of interesting i learned but you know have you was there difficulties in getting started is what I mean, you know, within these challenging things in America, we have similar efforts, but I think nothing is, you know, as dire of a situation is, it's not like we have thousands of these things you have to go around to, but there literally was thousands of neon signs at one point. Is there some sort of decision making process that you had to come up with to save certain signs, save versus others, or even get people together to even consider doing this type of work? Uh, we, I mean, before I actually joined Tetranian Exchange, I was like um, with a group uh, for three years and then like started as a as a fanat- neon fanatic. And then I, I started like learning or thinking um, how I could actually save the signs, you know, every single time without any resources because we were just an interest group basically. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then I slowly like starting from like interviewing um, uh, like shops that needs to actually have the signs taken down. Like I started from that. And then every single time I'd learn something new, like, oh, maybe this time I could do a bit more based on like what I've learned um, just just then, you know? And then I, because like people, people may sometimes accuse like shop owners, like, oh, you should have tried better to keep your signs. But we actually don't see the side of, the side of story until we actually talk to them in person. And then we realize like, we want to, I actually wanted to learn like, what the what difficulties or struggles like, and whether they actually felt like oh sh I my sign is going down what should I do and then in order to come up with some strategies or like to tackle the situation um, we need to understand what the, the current situation or the struggles that they face right otherwise it would not be effective uh, so we actually start I actually started from there and I actually adapt all what I've whatever I've learned from my um, uh, interest group days uh, to uh, like to my job now, basically. Yeah, it was for, it was very difficult. It's still very difficult sometimes it's because I think like it's a comprehensive effort. I mean, a lot of business tenants, like you said, it's unfair to sort of hang that on them because you know escaping from a lot of these people. I mean, some are, are readily available, wanting to retire. I mean, they've been actively open in business maybe for fifty years, and so the unfortunate side effect is you know a you get a lot of uh, signs going missing. Um, but there's also a huge effort. I want to commend a lot of the groups out there because not only are you taking sort of a, a restoration approach, but they're actually using digital means to, you know, might not be able to save a sign, but some other people on the show, especially photographers have noted that their work is actually doing the same thing. You know, they're doing as much as they can with the tools that they have. But the unique thing about, uh, and we'll touch on this in a minute is that you know, photography, like making a book, like coming up with a photo book, which is kind of fun and unique to help other people experience these things long-term, right? We may lose them. So, you know, if the step of the process is going to be, hey, this sign is going to inevitably go away because the structure is rusting or there's no one who can, you know, realistically, you know, put this thing back together within the budget that we, you know, obviously have, um, then the photo may be the next best place for it to live on, you know, and that's okay, you know, yeah. considering that it's yeah. still, and then, we have a record of it. <laughs> exactly, like we just actually um, uh, worked with a, a Swiss photographer, uh, Pascal Greco. Uh, he just released like um, a photo book called Hong Kong Neon. Uh, we actually, I mean, when I first heard of um, this idea, because it was still like in production, uh, because you know, uh, of COVID, like a lot of um, businesses like go belly up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and including some of the independent uh, publishers. So I, I think like uh, Pascal was lacking some funds to actually like finish the last stage of like production. So, and, and I think a lot of people didn't realize the importance of it. I, to me, it was more than just a photo book. It was actually a documentation because he spent seven years like on and off, like he actually like came to Hong Kong, flew to Hong Kong um, to use his own time. Uh, aside uh, like his uh, official project, he actually took his time to like, like, I don't know, go through our streets to take pictures of the neon signs. And then actually a lot of the neon signs he captured are no longer there. So to us, to me, I actually saw, oh my God, like we didn't actually have 
a photo book on Hong dedicated to Hong Kong neon since uh, the early 2000s, I think. So it like the last one was probably out like 20 years ago. It was like a, a refresh, um, like a like yeah. a, a the latest record. A yes. lot, and, and that so passion it, about you know the interest around culture and creativity. You know, when, you, when you're able to study those things, I, you know, what you said is like building up a collection of photos. It's exactly that, right? Like, why would you say over five years ago, we did lose a certain portion of science? Uh, you know, was there a, a decision-making process? Like I said, like how to, my biggest fear, one of the things that a lot of photographers take away from their books is they always tell me, um, there's a lot of pictures that I took that I wasn't able to include. Was that, was that always something right. to back about? Or can you use this, those additional photos or... Um, you know, I think the internet's been a wonderful place because people right. can, you know, acquire a certain taste for neon, but also get a chance to uh, meet with the artists. Uh, is there any uh, sort of when you go through the, the acquiring phase of making a book and getting a better understanding of what the backstory is with some of these signs? Is there ever a concept to bring them back to life? Like I know there are certain only a certain amount of they call them neon masters or whatever you want to refer to them as, but there is a significant change in the market. When it comes to LEDs and thinking about those guidelines, you know, everybody has their own different take on what it is the LED did to neon, but I would argue right. it actually allowed it more space to be much more different and, uh, you know, over the years become more collectible, you know, um, I don't know if that uh, is what you're thinking, but how does that relate? It's, such, it's, it's, it's such a broad question. We could actually like talk about all these like for days or even weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I mean, I think I, I, I actually like um, just to during the beginning, I also ask people in industry, like, what's the difference between what is how could I actually compare LED and and um, neon? Because that's like the quest, the most asked questions by media. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I remember one of the, the, the people that I learned from, he actually said, like, you need to make actually like be very clear. You can't actually compare LED and neon because they're totally two different things. To like long story short, neon is a craft. This is something that so far we can't actually see being replaced by LED. LED is a kind of technology, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you you it's it's way easy. I mean, I can't say like I think each of them has their own like pros and cons, perks and like weaknesses. Yeah, our, our um, neon artists. I mean, they're clearly aware of the two different means. I think obviously the conventional model of of people, you know, they think okay, well that's just a sign. It's just a sign. But I would argue that a lot of people don't know about neon at all. That are looking at neon wouldn't know it otherwise until they actually are familiar with. Hey, this is actually a glass object. Uh, made by a human yes. being. And so even at that level, I find it interesting how many people don't even know what traditional neon is as well, which is fascinating to me since it's been around 100 years. So I think it creates a, an interesting dichotomy, but also have the neon makers of today in China, do they, you know, in Hong Kong, are they, um, you know, obviously they're not as busy as they were clearly many right. decades ago. But have you met any and talked about them about this sort of unmissable sort of art exodus that's happening within Hong Kong that all these signs are kind of slowly being stripped away? Have they looked at that as a, as a kind of an opportunity or do they see that differently? I, I have actually like one of my major mission is to actually 
build relationships with people in the industries. Not only like the neon bending, uh, neon chip bending masters, but also like, um, for example, like uh, 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 the metal welder, uh, and also like the contractors. Like I want to actually learn from the story. I actually want to learn about the stories and also like the bits and pieces of history. I try to actually puzzle them like into a, like a, a more com comprehensive and bigger picture. Uh, because sadly enough, we ha actually haven't had like um, a very systematic um, record or archive of like Hong Kong neon industry. Even though I think, I think thanks to like Hong Kong neon, we actually received like the, the, the really like um, gracious title called um, the Pearl of the Orient. Uh, we were actually, we have been like very well known for our, our, our neon filled or drenched streets. Um, but we actually, we, we, we have never actually paid tribute or like recognitions to these people behind the scenes. And I think like it is totally like um, unacceptable or ridiculous. So it is yeah. like... Well, it's a thrilling chat. It's a chance for a lot of people to get to know who these individuals are. I've always yes, yes, they have names and faces, right? Yeah, and I mean, also, I think a lot of times they. It's funny because I talk with a lot of makers, and they're very advanced in their careers, and they think of themselves for a while. They had a difficult time understanding what artist meant to them. You know, the term. <laughs> a lot of them were very much hands-on, but. You know, I, I think it's sort of a time-tested tradition, I think, uh, to kind of like look at the artwork and then sort of dismiss the person and the person who made it. You won't necessarily know who they are. Yes, <laughs> a lot of people yes. consider them as pieces, but they're, yeah, and art has this difficult history of, you know, collecting and uh, becoming a bit of a collectathon, and also just this idea to kind of place money and, and you know, kind of for tax purposes. There's a long story. Long, I, I would bet we could go on for hours, but the idea is that you know, <laughs> share your work with people who love it, and then you can, you know, honestly say that you enjoy what you do. I feel strongly that those people have a lot to share with, uh, with the world, and and I think that respectively so the wider audience that a particular art form has the more chance it has at survival not that there's any reason for it to go away but the idea is to you know just make people aware you know self-awareness that these are uh, artists that have you know communicated and been working in the cities and the streets that you are unaware of until they've gone so far as to take too many of those signs away and now people say wow you know, where is my my favorite restaurant sign or well, where is that place I visited right. as a child? And I think I think it'll get to that point. I, I'm not sure if they're there yet, but I, I would I would say that that the projection is on point for for people to realize, OK, yeah, there's a fitting reason for us to get involved and support uh, Tetra and, and, you know, and individuals like Cardin who can really help, uh, you know, distribute this information as limited as it seems. Um, but more or less, there's, you know, uh, uh, a welcoming approach. I think people are not necessarily wanting to reproduce what was there. They want to keep, I think, the focus on um, what was it, what it was it like, you know, and I think that could really help fuel the fire. Um, you know, with your new book out and everything going on, anything you're excited about that you guys are working on? Clearly, obviously, you've done a lot of great work already, but anything that you're focusing on right now that you're super happy about? super happy about mm, it's like our maybe i could actually like talk about the group 
I'm, I'm actually not the founder of like Tetraneon Exchange, uh, which is like a registered like non-profit making organization. Um, it was founded like um, by the founder, of course, <laughs> since last year. Um, and he actually came to Hong Kong like 30, more than 30 years ago. And then he was struck by like what he saw even before the, the his flight actually like landed. Um, because, because like, um, Near our old Kai Tak airport, there there were like lots of um, walk old walk up buildings with lots of projecting neon signboards. Um, so he was struck by what he saw, and then I think like uh, thirty years on, he felt like he he gained so much from the city, and he felt um, he wants to actually like repay us or repay Hong Kong. Um, for all the blessings he has got. And he, he thinks like um, it is the time to actually do something um, if it's not too late. Uh, because he could actually also see is the, the signs actually disappeared at such alarming rate. Um, and then our major objectives are to save the signboards uh, and then at some point to restore them for future exhibitions. We would actually want to uh, involve like people in the industry, local industry, as much as we could um, uh, to actually like shed some light and even like hope as well. Because uh, as, you, as you just asked, like how people in the industry actually like feel about the disappearing of the signboard, even the neon culture, um, I think we haven't actually, we, 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 I would like to point out, we don't really have any full-time uh, neon chip vendor anymore in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have got like less than 10 um, uh, working part-time or as a freelancer. And then you could actually imagine the atmosphere, you know, like, oh, it is like a sunset industry. I would not actually want to like, um, uh, they would actually tell me I would not actually want to teach other people or students or tech students on uh, under my wing because I don't want to like ruin other people's life. That's what that's what that's something that I heard. I was told like very often. It's interesting. And then the relationship. Yeah, so the, even the relationship with the history of it must be very problematic. And there's also uh other factors at play. Obviously, the pandemic didn't help anybody. But clearly, I mean, if we were no, to choose, yes. Uh, the brighter moments. I mean, clearly there's happier times, but I think the difficulty between doing what you love and doing it for a living are clearly two different things. I think that we have uh, a perception that, you know, artists are always, you know, just hey, just in the shop doing what they do. And, 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 and look, I think there's a lot of uh, learning and also willingness to have to try, you know, to make that work out. I mean, if you sit there and you have to commit yourself to a life of, you know, don't do this, don't bother doing this, then clearly it will die on a sword. Uh, you know, right, right. Exactly. Yes. If you don't, if we don't, yeah, if you, if thoughts you, in a meaningful way, meaning positivity, uh, I think there's a lot of issues around uh, negativity and uh, it's an easy way out. You know, clearly there's going to be difficult issues with neon, especially in the collecting art world. That's kind of where I think things can really transpire or grow from is really kind of, I think the art houses and the galleries and the museums have done a great job of, uh, of keeping that going. But um, my intuition is, is that there's obviously going to be future artists that want to do this. And hopefully some of those masters will be there to, to help them along. Cause clearly 
uh, they didn't get there um, by themselves as well. Yeah, that's why, like, I think our involvement um, actually started to, I, I actually felt it started to make a difference, like, in their minds, in, uh, in these, like, artisans' mindsets. Because at the beginning, I could feel they didn't actually see themselves as artisans or artists. They just, they, they actually told me, like, what's the big deal about what we do? And I actually don't feel people outside our industry are interested in knowing what we do anymore. Um, and they, oh, they actually said, like, they actually told me, I'm just a technician. I am just someone that creates signboards to promote other people's businesses. Mm. They actually didn't see the, the significance of they, what they do That's or what they have been doing, like, like most of their lives. And then I, I feel like I have, I have the, 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 duty to actually tell them or to drill this idea to like into like the head talk. like <laughs> yes like what you guys do have values you need to respect and value what you do before pe other people would feel the same about what you do yeah. it is very important it's all about the mindset as well it's also yeah you it will know? directly represent exactly if that's the, the the energy and the direction that you focus in Clearly, no one will respect either the the intention to what you're doing, or also open their eyes up about the longevity and the, you know, and the yeah, admirality of what you know. exactly. I think also too is you know artists are a little bit different, but you know they for a long time I think it was sort of in this trade, you know, trade world where you know clearly if you were not bending up to uh, up to code, uh, there were probably 10 other individuals waiting for your position on the line. And I'm sure that's how they felt right. when they first met. So, you know, intuitively, I wonder if they're actually thinking about that a little bit clearly through a clear lens or, or if it's just, you know, they put in so much effort that, you know, it's gone by the wayside, uh, you know, so be it. But yeah, it, it's funny. I think that you said is like, until you can stage it in a way that they can even understand it. A lot of times I think it is it does take them by surprise. I think, especially the ones that have worked in that trend of, you know, well, I just work with, you know, I just do work for clients. That's, that's how important it is. Um, and, Hi. you know, occasionally I'll get somebody who comes in and want to fix something. And, and look, I think it's all how you, you, like I said, it's being portrayed in a certain way, but if you showcase it, I think people, uh, audience participation is huge. You know, the success of a lot of art has only happened or I think managed to keep going because of people's uh, indispensable love for it. Uh, if it's an effort and there's an, an intent behind it, um, other people will notice. And I think that will become increasingly, um, you know, attractive, you know, for us, it's, for some people it's a struggle, but I think it does warrant uh, exploring, right? Like there's every possibility for them to go out there and kind of change the, the neon landscape, if you will. But certainly there are challenges, clearly. There's no global impact around <laughs> that, you know, hasn't been affected by this uh, pandemic that we're in. But, you know, look, I think examining Hong Kong is very interesting. What, where, where do you, you know, where does Tetra go from here? Is Like, are you thinking about, um, you know, the effects of some of these artists, but also, like I said, new future exhibitions, things that you want our listeners to know about as we kind of near the end of our conversation? Um, I think maybe I could actually circle back to like your last question, like what I actually um, feel most excited about or, or like what, what, how could I actually put, put this? Like um, uh, my major task, um, my major task, the, the most urgent one is actually to save the signs that needs to come down. 
which I actually don't feel excited about because I think neon signs belong to the street, which is our living gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the natural habitat for them. Like they shine the best when it's out there. But because I think when when we, I, I think these people out like exhaust all revenues, like to, avenues to actually keep them there. And I think the best compromise at the moment is for us to actually save as many as possible. Uh, before we could actually talk about other plans, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think through saving these signs, um, I would I would like to think through this step that I don't actually feel excited about. Um, well, let me, let me say this. What creatively, okay. let's think about this in different light. How can this platform bring any sort of relevance to what you guys are doing? Name exactly how someone on the other side of the ocean or let's just say somebody listening, how can we help Tetra? Like if there's any kind of communication effort that needs to happen, does it mean an email? Can it mean a significance around collecting? Or what do you want? You know, what are you looking to achieve uh, as a possibility? Uh, maybe there's possibly somebody listening that could reach out to you and, and assist in that matter, whether it's information or exchange of ideas. What, what can, you know, what can we, you know, I guess, what questions are you looking to have answered? What's the burning question? And and maybe the question of the day could be just, you know, hey, how do we get this done? But um, how can people reach out and help? Right. Um, as our name suggests, like Tetranion Exchange, um, we would like to actually make it a platform uh, for any neon lovers or neon preservationists to come together to exchange ideas um, because we are actually like relatively new uh, and I, I'm aware like um, there are quite a few organizations like doing preservation work ar- around the globe. Uh, it would be great like if people like internationally they could actually reach out to us or we could we could reach out to them um, to talk about their, their experiences in preserving neon signs and neon cultures you know locally you have the website as well as the instagram which means for me it's a direct message it could be anybody following this that wants to keep in touch yes with and, and facebook yes and facebook tetra, as yeah, well tetra neon is t-e-t-r-a neon e-x we'll put it in the link notes all the notes will go in there with facebook uh instagram everything you know we'll have links in the show notes for anybody listening um yes that will be that very I think helpful is a clear, direct, <laughs> yeah and and that's the exchange i think between tetra is that there is a movement happening and clearly we can do things to support it. I think that the biggest information takeaway from this is just a learning uh, to continue to learn. Uh, that's what I, I guess I've learned so much from listening to Cardin and her approach is that, you know, there is no right way to do this. Clearly the idea is to go out there and, and see what you can do uh, on any level. Uh, if anything you want to leave people listening with uh, before we, we head out. Um, I would like to actually add um, because we always ask this question, what can we do? What can normal people do? Um, I would like to say, I start as like, I'm still someone that is ordinary, but I think if, as you said, like first we have to be aware of like what's happening around us, what's disappearing, what is like, what is left. Um, and then you take it from there, you know, and and stop thinking like, oh, we're just some someone that are so ordinary. What we can actually do, if everyone actually like put into the effort, we could actually make a huge difference. For example, like 
the latest sign that we saved because all thanks to some followers that sent us like, oh, we actually saw this scaffold being up around this sign. Could you please look into that? Mm -hmm. And then that was how we started saving this sign. If without them telling us or sharing whatever they saw in the street, we may not be able to save it in time. That's super cool. Like yeah. some, yeah, just something like this, so simple. Yeah, it could actually make a, make a difference. Well, Cardin, that's super inspiring um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, I really wanted to say thank you for for Tetra and and Neon Exchange and Cardin being on the show. Cardin Chan, lovely to talk with you and uh, lovely to uh, talk to you too. Can't wait to see what comes out of the uh, out of the group next. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Max. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed that show. If you haven't done so, please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice. We have a lot of great neon guests coming up. And as always, thanks for listening.